Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. The NFL never, ever, ever, ever sleeps. And if you don't think that's true, be in Dallas, Arlington, Texas this week for the draft. So much coverage, more networks covering it than ever before. Bucket list for me, I get to go. And Amy Tenry, the digital editor of sports for Reuters and my partner in crime on a lot of these podcasts, will be covering it, albeit by phone. You need to be in town to listen carefully to your coveted Mets, don't you? I do, yeah. I gotta, I gotta stay up here, but uh, I have, I have full faith in uh, your coverage while you're down there. I, I know that uh, you've really broken down the numbers about the economic impact for the area. So, uh, what, what do you think it's, what's going to be like there? Well, it's going to be a madhouse, and more of a madhouse than anybody could have imagined. You know, the people that let the draft leave Radio City Music Hall because they were negotiating should no longer have a job because the NFL said. And let's make this a mobile asset and see if people like it. Well, Chicago loved it for two years. Philadelphia loved it. Dallas is going to love it. And now they're going to take this on the road on a regular basis. They're expecting a quarter, a million attendees with, uh, that was Philly. I'm sorry. They're expecting more than that. Philly had a quarter million attendees outdoors. They're expecting $100 million of economic impact. And it's all going to be basically in and around the stadium and outdoor plaza in a way that only Jerry Jones and his family can do. Yeah, you know, what strikes me is that, you know, this is the first time they're actually holding the draft inside an NFL stadium. It's going to, as you were saying earlier, kind of drive home that that idea that NFL is a year-round league because now we're in late April and we're talking football. Um, and in a lot of ways, it... it sort of undeniably feels like a Dallas Cowboys event in a way that, you know, the draft in Philly wasn't wasn't an Eagles draft. It was a it was a Philly based draft. So do you think this is uh, beneficial for the franchise that they've kind of snagged onto this? And do you think other franchises are going to be looking at this in the future and saying, hey, why can't we host the draft? Well, yeah. And, you know, they Jerry Jones built the facility and he touts it as the biggest and the best. It's all subjective. You don't know. But clearly, it was a great standard for the next set of facilities in Minnesota, Atlanta, now Los Angeles. And so next was, what do you do to put mega events in there? Well, this is an example of another Jerry Jones spectacular, and it raises the bar. Denver, uh, Seattle, uh, other cities, New England, all want drafts, and they probably can't get Super Bowls in open-air, cold-weather venues, but they certainly can get drafts in April and May in any city. Open the public square, make sure it's a mega event, and yet Jerry Jones shows the way as he usually does. Yeah, yeah. No, it's great. It definitely seems like a huge win, not only in image for the Cowboys, but also just financially. And I know there was one storyline out of the draft that you were especially excited to break down for us. That's Lamar Jackson. Can you tell me a little bit more? Yeah, well, let's let's talk about what happens in that stadium. Lamar Jackson will be drafted probably in the first round, projected, and he's smart. He decided that the lawyers shouldn't get all the money, and let me go back to this. The NFLPA, Player Association, agreed to implement a rookie scale in 2011 as a means of transferring wealth. About 47% of all 
the revenue from unproven prospects to deserving veterans. Sam Bradford signed a deal, which was the biggest deal in history at the time, and he hadn't thrown one NFL pass in 2010, yet he got a $50 million guarantee as the overall first-round pick. Cam Newton after that, and people said, well, let's transfer it, let's slot these guys. They deserve to get paid, but not until their second contract. And Jackson says, well, you know, he is slotted. No matter where he goes, there's a minimum and a maximum. The negotiation is how much you're guaranteed. And frankly, he can sit down and negotiate that. And if he gets an agent to pay uh, the, the standard percentage, he would be paying $267,000 more than if he hires just a normal contract lawyer to do the contract. So us lawyers, look, we appreciate smart clients, and this is a good example of a smart client. Right. Now, it sounds to me like this is sort of an example of where up-and-coming players are looking at the way things have been done and learning how to maybe outsmart that uh, angle for their best advantage. He said, you know, this is a relatively recent uh, agreement with the NFLPA in 2011. And now Lamar Jackson is coming up and saying, okay, well, how can I approach this to get the best contract for me? Do you think we're going to start seeing more players every year who are saying, hey, why am I, why am I committing to an agent right off, right off the bat? Well, especially with rookies, you know, a lot of rookies are saying, let me get as much money as I possibly can guaranteed, and it requires some negotiation, and let me get an agent to represent me on some endorsements. Many athletes, uh, NFL players, are saying, uh, Andre Johnson pioneered this one, even if I'm drafted first, let me earn my way into endorsements, and let me worry about it on the field. Let me get a contract attorney, let him figure out what to do. We're not holding out. So there's really no negotiation. We'll wait for the next time around. I don't know if everybody's going to do that, but it's certainly one of those things that NFL players and owners are worried about. First impression stuff is really important. The reason why I mention that is our interview this week, kind of interesting, Steve Patterson. He was one of the first executives to be hired when the Houston Texans were created, and he then uh, hired Jamie Roots, who we've had on the show before, uh, Super Bowl in Houston. Uh, uh, Steve Patterson, tremendous uh, resume, Portland Trailblazers, Houston Rockets, basketball, Arizona State, University of Texas AD, and now he's with the Phoenix and Arizona Coyotes trying to save them in the Valley. So we'll talk about Steve Patterson in a couple of minutes, but let's get some sense of what he talks about, similarities and differences between all of the different sports that he's dealt with as we deal with the NFL draft here. Steve Patterson. Rick Harrell with Steve Patterson, and I could tell you he's the CEO of the President CEO of the Arizona Coyotes. It's hard to memorize his resume because there's so much there. <laughs> there's the Houston Rockets. There's the Houston Texans. There's the Portland Trailblazers. There's UT. There's Arizona State University. What I miss? I think that's most of them. <laughs> most of them. I'm sure there's a lot of other stuff. Uh, a legitimate I painted houses icon. one summer. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. And obviously in a... Um, a quest for stability in the Valley of the Sun. How's that to describe your Arizona yeah. Coyotes role? I think that's I think that's accurate. You know, this is a franchise that's had its challenges, but we've been able to consolidate the ownership with Andy Barraway taking over last year. Uh, we're right now working on building the business back up, developing the brand, creating credibility with the business the community, the elected and appointed officials. And as we do that, our, our revenues grow and we get more solidified in the Valley. Public-private partnerships, obviously, very important. This event, 
is all about sports tourism and economic development in the state of Arizona. Many elected officials get it, many don't. What's the kind of 30,000 foot message for investing in infrastructure? I think if you look across the country, by and large, those communities that have decided to invest in sports facilities have gotten tremendous returns, not only financially, but in terms of the taxes, in terms of the jobs, also in terms of the quality of life for the people that live there, and for the kind of exposure it gives those communities around the country and internationally. And so you've had the experience in Houston. Tell us what the kind of success story was like Texans, Super Bowl 38, recovering the dollars from yeah. that as you did it. Yeah, I mean, the community put up the land and the parking and about $375 million uh, to get what was then Reliant, what is now NRG Stadium built. But you get a Super Bowl commitment right off the hop, you get a $300 million return on that. A couple of NCAA Final Fours, hundreds of millions of dollars of investment there. Uh, a couple of regional NCAA events, a new bowl game. And so all of a sudden you have all these tourist events happening on the weekend, filling up hotels, filling up restaurants, giving jobs to people that are driving cars and whatnot. And so it's a tremendous return for the community as a whole. And 38 led to 51. Yeah, exactly. Once, once you get one uh, Super Bowl, you got a much better chance of getting another one. You know, once you get one NCAA championship and you perform well, you get a much better chance of getting another one. So... Uh, once you're in the cycle of those kind of events, it's great for the city. You work with Paul Allen in Portland, arena-related stuff. We did some stuff together. You obviously did stuff with the Rockets. You did stuff with the Texans, uh, UT, all facility-driven and based. He used to be seven foot two, and he had um, black hair. What happened to you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can either blame my wife or, yeah. I, or I can blame the jobs. <laughs> the jobs are stressful. They're high visibility. Everybody in the world wants blue seats, red seats. They all have an expertise on where a site should be. Yeah. How difficult it is, is, is that in this environment at this time? Well, I think it's actually uh, comes with the territory, right? I mean, if you didn't have everybody who thought they weren't an expert, you wouldn't have any fans, right? right? So you, you got to have the fans, and, and they got to have their opinions, and you got to have the talk shows and, and what goes on on Twitter. Uh, it's all a part of engaging fans and people in the community. And the more engaged you are, the better conversations you'll have, the more success the brand will have in the long run. Sports, in a way that can't be quantified, quality of life, you told a story in this panel in your Houston experience about what you've seen the last couple of years in Houston. Tell us. Well, I think, you know, when you when you go through building a new building, uh, rebuilding a franchise like the Astros have done, you see the tremendous outpouring of emotion and community involvement from them winning a World Series. doesn't happen unless you have the new ballpark there. Same kind of thing for the Rockets. The successes they've had over the years doesn't happen without a new arena. You know, you don't get an NFL team unless you've got a, a viable stadium. You don't get the bowl games. You don't get the uh, championship games and the other kind of events that go there without those kind of facilities. And that's part of the fabric of a great community, whether it's arts, whether it's entertainment, whether it's a port or an airport or rail lines. Sports is just a part of that that makes a great community. You've now done ASU and Texas. You're doing Arizona. You did Houston, Houston, and Portland. What's more enjoyable, college environment or pro environment? You know, I always really look at it as what's the next challenge. Yeah. You know, sort of once I've done it, uh, I'm moving on to the next one. We love living here in Phoenix. You know, we, we never gave up our house when we left, so it's great to be back in it. We've got a lot of great friends here. 
the weather's great like this. And, and like I said a little earlier, you know, growing up in Wisconsin and seeing the Phoenix Open in the middle of February when there's three feet of snow on the ground, it's a pretty heavenly place. And God bless you because the Coyotes and Steve Patterson, let me just put it this way, they need each other. So you get a sense from Steve Patterson in a relatively short interview, the guy's busy. He's busy because he has the experience of a lot of different franchises, and he's certainly trying to save and deal with and stabilize the Arizona Coyotes, Phoenix Coyotes right now. Uh, Amy, what's your takeaway from the interview with Steve? Yeah, you know, it was so interesting the way he talked about uh, the importance of investing financially in in the market that you're in, not only just um, as a sort of goodwill gesture, but, you know, to bring exposure to the market and to bring exposure for the community uh, also brings in tourism revenue for weekend events. So I thought that was so interesting um, and sort of coincidental that we're we're able to tie this all together with the draft. And now we have Jerry Jones, as we were talking about earlier, having his own uh, marquee event offseason. So I I thought that was a really good point he made. Um, I don't know. What are some of your takeaways? Well, my takeaway is the same one as yours, which is the uh, team basically held in trust by a series of owners for a community. Steve should know. He was basically Paul Allen's guy in Portland with the Trailblazers and obviously Bob McNair's guy, but kind of created the Houston Texans and all the buzz that's been around that. But segue for a minute into Jacksonville. Shad Khan, guy who is a significant business guy in his own right, partnered with the Cordish Development Company. They've unveiled plans for a $2.5 billion development in their hometown of Jacksonville. Shipyards Metropolitan Park is what it might be called. It's across the street from the stadium. And they're talking about an internationally scaled development opportunity in a city that everybody would understand is a relatively small market for an NFL franchise. So here's an example of a guy who was born in central Illinois, who is the first Pakistani NFL owner, but yet goes to Jacksonville, buys the team, and is now part of the community. So well done. Yeah, and, you know, to be honest with you, I think the Jags already had a lot of built-in goodwill uh, after having a tremendously strong season. And I, I think it builds on this momentum, and I think it and, and investing in the hometowns and then really proving their worth. They've now done it on the field, and now they're going to go do it off the field by showing they're committed to Jacksonville. Yep, and my final comment, by the way, about the NFL never, ever sleeping. This is one of those comments that you would appreciate. They decided, by the way, and yet another news story with the NFL, to move up the starting times for kickoffs, 8.15 on Monday Night Football, 8.20 on Sunday Night Football, 8.20 on Thursday Night Football. They're all moved up 5 to 10 minutes or so. The idea is to get them done early and get into that sweet spot where people on the West Coast are just settling in, but they care more about the East Coast fans and the kids who probably want to watch the end of the game. Good move by the NFL? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, first of all, it, it's it's a small enough increment that nobody's going to be missing the entirety of these games. I think that uh, you know, you're still going to catch people for the end of the game, even if they can't make it home on time. And let's be honest, I mean, most of, of uh, the teams are on the eastern half of the country. So geographically, it makes sense. And uh, selfishly, I'm thrilled because I'm based in New York and I want to go to bed. So I, I think it's a really smart move. It's all about you, but more importantly, here is the question. (laughs) First, Monday in October, are you watching the Monday Night Football game or game four of your beloved Mets in the series? Wow. Wow. (laughs) Oh, I love your optimism. I've 
I can't believe you just jinxed us like that. Uh, yeah, just... by the way, so you don't have to answer that question. That was yet another completely gratuitous comment by Rick Harrow. See you next week. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. Our producer, Alex Cohen. Associate producer, Freddie Joyner. Assistance provided by Carlos Waddick, Tanner Simpkins, Jesse Leeds, and Jamie Swimmer. And the executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Calaruso. I'm Ricaro. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.